Good morning, Christ Prez. Our scripture reading today is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Hear the word of God. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the things that strikes me about what Paul tells us here is that the unity of the church is a present reality. It's not something we have to wait for. It's right here and right now. See, he doesn't say there will be one body someday. He says there is one body. And then he goes on to root this present unity of the church in the unity of God himself. There's one Father, one Lord, one Spirit. There's one body of Christ, and it's given life by the one Holy Spirit. See, this isn't a future possibility. It's a present reality. But is it a present reality? I mean, what does this mean for us? What what does unity look like in our everyday life? What is it supposed to look like? Well, one, one way the church has tried to make sense of this is to say that it doesn't really look like anything because the unity of the church that Paul is talking about here is spiritual and invisible. It's basically mysterious. It's something we can't really perceive. This approach lets us affirm that despite all our apparent divisions within the body of Christ, there's still only one true unified church. And so maybe it's okay to be content with the apparent disunity now and trust that God is going to just sort it all out later. But I don't think this passage gives us that option. Look again at verse 3. Paul tells us that we must be eager to maintain to the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now remember, this isn't a command for us to create unity or to attain unity. The unity of the church is unity of the spirit, which means it's a gift. It's the result of God saving us from sin and death and reconciling us to himself and to one another. We can only receive this as a gift. But Paul does urge us, once we've received it, to maintain it, to guard it and protect it. It's like we've been given this beautiful gift and and we're supposed to care for it. Listen to what one New Testament scholar writes about this third verse. He says, It is hardly possible to render exactly the urgency contained in the underlying Greek verb, not only haste and passion, but a full effort of the whole person is meant, involving his will, sentiment, reason, physical strength, and total attitude. The imperative mood of the Greek excludes passivity, quietism, a wait-and-see attitude, No, yours is the initiative. Do it now. Mean it. You are to do it. Such are the overtones in verse 3. See, Paul is urging us to the hard work of maintaining the unity of the Spirit. We can't be satisfied with some kind of invisible unity that fails to find 
concrete expression in our actual lives. Imagine a family, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and their three children. So as a matter of fact, they are a family. They are united by marriage and parenthood. But then imagine that over the course of time, conflicts and disagreements emerge among Mr. and Mrs. Smith. And so they begin to fight and argue and they become more and more estranged from one another. And eventually they get a divorce. And not long after that, the children who are now grown also begin to have major disagreements and they fight and they fall apart and move as far away from one another as they can. None of them ever speaks to the others. They don't call, they don't write, they don't show up for family reunions. All their mutual relationships have unraveled. See, what would, what would we say about that? Would we say, yeah, but that's okay because really nothing can undo the fact that they're still a family. The relational brokenness doesn't really matter. The fact that they don't share meals together doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, they're still brothers and sisters. No, I don't think we'd say that. That wouldn't satisfy our understanding of what it means to be family. And I wonder, why would it be any different with the church? You see, Paul is urging us to make our unity visible. Remember, the church is meant to display to the world the goodness of the gospel. And if unity is central to the gospel, then it also needs to be displayed. It needs to be seen. Um, The goodness of the gospel won't be seen unless the unity of the church is seen, which means this has to be a visible unity. So how do we do it? How do we make our, our unity visible? Well, what Paul says is that this is all about relationships. Paul calls us to be a certain kind of people. He calls us to be people who live in ways that fit with the gospel. And his approach is all about relationships. We see this in verses one and two. He says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. See, how do we maintain unity? We do it by bearing with one another in love, with patience, and with all humility and gentleness. Let's, let's, let's dig into this a little bit, and we'll take those in reverse order. First, um, humility and gentleness, or, or another way that could be translated is lowliness and meekness. In the pagan Greco-Roman context, uh, these were not sought after virtues. In fact, they weren't really considered virtues at all. It wasn't a compliment to call someone humble because humility was for servants and slaves. Humility was only for the people at the very bottom of society. And so by calling the Ephesian Christians to humility and meekness, Paul was turning their entire value system upside down. He was calling them to treat others as their superiors, or as he says in Philippians, to count others as more significant than themselves. But what does that mean? Does that mean that we're to go through life just feeling really pathetic and with very low self-esteem, always talking about how much better everyone else is? No, that's not a good biblical picture of humility. Um, It's helpful, I think, to think of humility as being the opposite of pride. You know, we usually associate pride with feelings of superiority, but pride can show itself just as much in self-absorbed, self-centered feelings of inferiority. Going around talking about how horrible 
you are can reveal just as much self-centeredness and pride as going around talking about how great you are. See, true humility completely shifts the focus away from ourselves altogether onto God and onto other people. So in calling us to be humble and gentle, Paul is calling us to be other-focused. So practically, what does that look like? Well, it means speaking more highly of others than we do of ourselves. It means highlighting the achievements of others instead of highlighting our own. It means deferring to one another and not just to people who are intelligent and strong. It means submitting to one another and serving one another. It means caring about the preferences and perspectives of others as much, if not more, than we care about our own. So imagine a community in which everyone is practicing humility. See, it would be so unified, wouldn't it? There just wouldn't be cause for division and fighting. So one way we show our unity is by being a community in which everyone is humble and gentle. That's how we make the unity of, of the body of Christ visible to the watching world. But what if I'm trying to be humble and gentle and you're not? What if I'm trying to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace and, and you're just screwing everything up? Man, that would be super annoying. In fact, that might make me not want to be around you. That might make me want to find a different community where everyone is just as committed to humility and meekness as I am. Which is why what Paul says next is so important. We maintain unity with patience, bearing with one another in love. You see, if we were all perfectly humble and gentle people, we wouldn't need patience. <laughs> we wouldn't need to bear with one another one another in love. Our life together would just be smooth sailing. But because we aren't as humble as we ought to be and we aren't as gentle as we ought to be, maintaining unity requires patience. It requires bearing with one another. The word for patience here is a word that literally means long-suffering. The sight of Jesus' return, being in community that is committed to unity, it means suffering. Because this side of Jesus' return, sin persists as a daily reality for us. And so there's pride in me, and there's pride in you, and that hurts community. And there's selfishness in me and you, and that hurts community. In all kinds of ways, uh, we do things that work against the unity of the Spirit. And so patience is required. Long suffering. Suffering, and then suffering some more. Paul says, bear with one another. And the word here is a word that means bearing a burden, which means that sometimes being in relationship with each other is going to feel like a burden. Sometimes we will be burdens to one another. And you know, in the world, that's often all that's needed to bring a relationship to an end. We say, you're not fun to be around anymore, or our relationship creates more pain than pleasure, and so what? I'm out of here. As soon as things reach a certain level of difficulty, then who can blame us for walking away? I mean, that's just how it works. But not in the body of Christ. See, Paul just assumes 
that being in relationship with one another will feel difficult at times. He assumes that sometimes our relationships will be painful. Sometimes we're going to annoy one another and aggravate one another and perhaps offend one another. At times, we will be burdens to one another. And Paul says, bear the burden. He says, maintain the unity of the spirit. He says, don't retreat from relationship. Don't give up on being the body of Christ. Keep loving one another even when things get messy and painful. You know, in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us that love never fails. And what he means is that it doesn't stop. It doesn't quit. It doesn't give up. That's what it means to be long-suffering and to bear with one another in love. It means to love in a way that doesn't stop. Well, how? How can we do this? How can we become people who are like this? Who move out in relationships with others in ways that are humble and gentle and patient? Well, one of the things that I think we must do is we have to ask for this. Because it is a gift. Love, gentleness, patience. You know, these are all qualities that Paul says in Galatians are the fruit of the Spirit working in us. So just as the unity we're called to maintain is from the Spirit, so are all the qualities and characteristics that we need to maintain it. And so if you're impatient, ask for patience. If you're full of pride, ask for the spirit of humility. If you tend to be harsh and ungracious toward others, ask the Lord to make you gentle. If you're having trouble loving, ask for the Spirit's help. You know, we live in a world that is ruled by the risen Jesus. Christ is risen. And Christ has sent his spirit to the church for this. He wants the church to be unified. Don't you know that he's eager to help us with this? Pray that God would make us people who are eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. We need to ask for this. But second, we need to act. You know, it wouldn't do much good to pray for humility and gentleness and patience and the ability to bear one another's burdens and love, but then to never actually put it into practice. You know, if we're serious about maintaining unity, then we need to practice maintaining unity. We need to act it out. Uh, remember, Christian love isn't an abstract feeling of warmth. It's always tangible. It's service directed in love um, toward particular people in particular situations. And so this week, maybe even this afternoon, put this into practice. Put it into action. How can you put one of your sisters or brothers in Christ before yourself? Or how can you practice patience with someone who has begun to feel like a burden? How can you actively love that person? Becoming people who are able to maintain the unity of the spirit, it takes asking and it takes acting. We need to pray and we need to practice. And last, um, there's an invitation here to abide, to abide in Jesus Christ. You know, earlier we noticed that the unity of the church, it's rooted in the unity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And see, I think that because of that, there's an invitation here for us to take our attention 
off of the fruit of the spirit that God might be working in our lives and um, to attend to the root. This is root work, not fruit work. Like Jesus says in John that apart from him, we can do nothing. And I assume that included in that nothing is maintaining the unity of the spirit. We cannot do this, family, if our if the roots of our lives are not going deep down into Jesus Christ. You know, I'm going to be away from you for four months. I'm with you this morning, and then I'm with you next Sunday, and then I'm on sabbatical. Remember, I've never been the glue that holds Christ's press together. Harry Gore is. No, I'm just kidding. Harry Gore is not the glue that holds Christ's press together. Our unity is in Christ. And he is in you. And you are in him. And his prayer for us is that we would be one as he and the Father are one. That is some serious unity. See, I won't be here for four months, but Jesus will. See his love for you. See how eager he is to maintain unity with you in the spirit. Jesus wants to be unified with you. And so abide in him. Sink the roots of your life down into him. Trust that that will bear the fruit of unity. Let his life be your life. I urge you, family, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. In Jesus' name, amen.